0: Um, several of us just got back from the Dominican Republic on our little mission. That's our fifth time. When Brian was talking about this being our, you know, seventh year of being a church, and I thought about those mission trips, and it was over, I guess, five years ago that Seth and Danielle approached uh, me and Janelle to talk about having a mission trip, doing some sort of short-term mission. And when we were on the the trip, I just had this light bulb like, wow. By them just saying, let's do a short-term mission, we've now had over 90 people from Novation who had never been on a short-term mission go on a short-term mission. We met Kiko. I mean, the influence on the youth group, the influence on people's lives, just been phenomenal. it's those little things sometimes that you don't realize the ripple effect that something can have like that. So God gets all the praise for that. He's, he's amazing. And, you know, it's hard to believe. I remember, was remembering last night watching a little football that it was seven years ago, last night, that we watched Tim Tebow and the Broncos get destroyed by the Patriots. And the next day, we, um, we kicked off our first novation service. I love Tim Tebow and the Broncos, but back then I was almost praying that they would lose. Because, man, it was an interfering with planting a church. Because <laughs> you know how it is with Colorado, like church, Broncos, uh, I'll get them next week. Anyway, um, let's pray. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Scott. If you're a guest with us today, glad that you chose to to be with us. I have the sacred responsibility of teaching God's Word this morning, so I'm going to seek Him for help, okay? Lord, as we dig into Your Word this morning... Um, Lord, I just remind myself that none of this is about me or any person. This is all about you, Lord Jesus. And so, grow our faith this morning. Teach us, Holy Spirit, the words that you've authored. Um, Give us ears to hear what you want to say. Give us an alertness to what it is that you want to say. And help us to be different and more like Jesus because of this message, we pray. Amen. So, the new year... It's off and running. We're halfway through January. You're going to blink your eyes and it'll be spring. And all will be right in the universe once again. (laughs) Once you hear that crack of the bat and the ball, everything's good. It just has a way of bringing peace. But the problem in living in Colorado is that's when winter starts, right, is in the spring. But I know talking to different people, people are committed at the beginning of the year, resolutions to lose a little weight, get in better shape, make better habits in our life, or maybe, um, you know, hopefully you've already stuck with that, but some people choose to like read the Bible for the first time from cover to cover, and you do like the 365 days. If you're doing that, I suggest that maybe you do the whole book of Leviticus in one setting, Because that way in February, you don't get bogged down in Leviticus and give up and start again next year. Leviticus has been known to kill some Bible reading plans, but I know it's there for a reason. It's a little difficult to read sometimes and understand, but stick with it if you're reading the Bible for the first time or have some sort of plan. But of all the resolutions that we make, of all the resolutions that you can make or maybe didn't make, is let's all resolve to become more like Jesus and how we think, act, and speak. If we do that, and we resolve to let Him have His way in our life, that's a game changer for us. The number one characteristic that you see about the the character of God throughout the Bible is that He's a God of mercy. If you were to count them all up, you see that God is merciful. And so to become like God, to become like Jesus, is for you and I to become more merciful people and how we relate to one another, and how we see people, our compassion for people that are, that are broken, our compassion for people that are hurting, our ability to forgive those who fail us is to become more and more like Jesus. So last week, Joel kicked off very well, awesome message on uh, this new series through the book of James that we've titled Down-to-Earth Faith, because the book of James is a very practical, down-to-earth, um, letter written, like this is how you practically live out your faith. And so we called it a down to earth faith. James is the half brother of Jesus. And James is, is interesting because he didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah until after the resurrection. But after he saw the risen Lord Jesus, Jesus had mercy on him and used him as an early, early leader in the church. And so Today we're going to talk about a lifestyle of mercy from our text, and I chose a large passage today, and I felt it was necessary. The rest of the the teachings in James will be shorter passages, but this is like one long thought process that I really is praying over it. It needed to be taught in one one talk because there's a, a theme of mercy throughout what we're going to read and study today. And it echoes what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 7, in one of the Beatitudes. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So he wants us to become people of mercy, that we're merciful to those around us. Mercy is is an attempt to alleviate the pain and suffering of somebody. When you you have compassion, it's birthed out of compassion. You see somebody who's suffering... um, that's part of what mercy is, and it's you do something about their pain. But mercy is also forgiving people who wrong you or fail you. It's treating people better than they, than they deserve. God treats us better than we deserve because of Christ and what He did for us. So I, I wrote this question down. Would you describe yourself as a merciful person? If so, what? Why? Why do you think you're a merciful person? Maybe even the better question is, would those who know you best describe you as a merciful person? Is mercy the first thing that comes out of you when you're stepped on, so to speak, or when you're wronged? I think today's text that we're going to read is going to direct us to pursue a life of mercy. And let's get this out of the way right away. None of us in here lives a perfect life of mercy. There's only one who ever did. But when we emulate him, when we become like Jesus, when we follow his example, I should be coming more merciful in how I see people. You should be coming more merciful if you name the name of Jesus in how you see people, how you get along with people who don't think like you or who don't believe like you. It's all that heart of Christ coming out in us. So the first thing I want you to write down and we'll look at this in our text, is if we're going to become people of mercy, practice listening, listening more and talking less. Listening more and talking less. How many know that this little hole in our head gets us in trouble a lot, right? We're way better at responding, reacting, than we are to stop and listen to what somebody's trying to say or listen to their heart, it's so easy to jump to a conclusion and get mad at somebody and spew something that we later regret because we didn't look at all the, the circumstances or we didn't have all the understanding of somebody's life or what they've been through. Here's what he says, in picking it up in verse 19 of chapter 1, he says, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. You could stop there, right? Practice that 365 days a year. Human anger does not produce the righteousness, of God, the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. How much of our, our conflicts that we have in our relationships happen because we're better at talking than we are listening. Husbands, you know what I'm talking about? Janelle always teases me that um, I can quote the Bible or I can tell you the 1986 Denver Broncos lot, you know, starting offense and where they went to college, blah, 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 but I can't remember what she told me to get at the grocery store, right? Anybody relate? That's just me. I'm getting better, though. She might tell you that, but... The truth is, is we're better at talking than we are listening. And when we get into conflict, when there's friction, it's so much easier to just blah than it is to listen to what somebody's trying to say. And if you practice this in your relationships, practice this at work, practice this wherever you're at, listen before you speak is going to lead you to become a more merciful person. When When you're listening to people you tend to not jump to conclusions so fast about them. That's why the book of Proverbs, I love Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs, you see four things that you're to guard over and over and over. You're to guard your heart. You're to guard your steps. You're to guard um, and to guard your mouth. Put a guard over your mouth. (laughs) That's hard to do. But literally, boom, there's a guard that says, hmm, I'm not going to say that. This isn't going to be healthy if I say this. This isn't going to edify the person that I'm talking to if I say what I'm saying. And it's learning how to bite our tongue, literally. Because I don't know about you, my filter from what goes into my brain, the thought, to how that little, there's a little slide that's about only that big that goes whoop, and it's so easy to say whatever I'm thinking. Anybody relate to that? And there's a problem in that. That gets you in trouble. That gets you in fights. That makes you not be a person of mercy. So let's just start there. Practice listening more and talking less. Second thing is this. Put the Word of God into practice. You want to become more like Jesus in how you think, act, and speak. You want to become a more merciful person because He desires that. That's His number one characteristic. Put the Word of God into practice. 92% 92% of Americans, I read this statistic, own a Bible, 92%, let alone if you think about like all the, the access that we have to the Bible in today's internet, you know, what we have through the internet and phones and all that. I mean, We have immense access to the Word of God, but do I put it into practice? Do you put it into practice? I got given this gift um, about a month ago. What this is, this is a New Testament translated into the Akka language, which I went to Bible school with a guy named Ajay Kukaukasen, and he is from Thailand, and he, he uh, married a, a lady from the States, and they've been in Thailand for 20-something years, and he spent the last 10 to 15 years translating the Word of God into uh, the New Testament Psalms and Proverbs into the Akka language, which they had no Bible. They had no way of, of reading, and it was all just audible, and, and now they have the Bible in their own language. Like, they hunger and thirst to have this, the words of God, to be able to have hidden in their hearts, and then to practice it and to do it. And I want to be like them and, and, and understand and not take for granted the access that I have to the Bible, but not just memorize the Bible, not just have information but have that put into practice in our lives. Here's what he says, verse 22 through 25. But don't just listen to God's word, you must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. Let me stop there. Parents, have you ever, do you ever maybe remember this if your kids are grown? But you tell your kids to do something and they go, uh-huh. And then, did they do it? Uh-uh. And how frustrated were you? Pretty all gone. Well, from a relational point of view, God is saying, just do what I say to do and trust me. Put my words into practice. He says, you must do what it says, otherwise you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in in a mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free... And if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing that. The Bible, the words of God, are His manual for our life. It's, you want to know, the the Bible is there to show us our need of Jesus, why we were created, what our purpose is in life, how to get along with others, what. What happens when you die? All the big questions are found in the Word of God. It's His, it's His manual for life. Therefore, we should probably be in it a lot, right? And I was thinking this illustration came to me years ago. Um, we just bought a, a, another car for, for Chandler, and inside the glove box is a little car manual. All of your cars probably have in your glove box a car manual. Now, you could take that, that car manual... You could read it. This is how, what I do when it breaks down. This is how you do this. You change a tire, whatever. I just take my car to Lucky Tire anyway, but after, beyond that, you know, what do I do if my car breaks down? What do I do to change this or to change that? Now, how silly would it be if I memorized a car manual? This is I memorized it. I actually had a small group that I met with, and we talked about this, this manual, and we talked about it together, and we all had revelations about the car manual. But I, I actually never took the key to the car and started up the engine and drove the car. You would think, you're a goofball, dude. What are you doing? Well, the same is true for us. We can be full of information about the Bible, chapter and verse, but if I'm not putting it into practice, I'm like memorizing a car manual without driving the car. So, when you read the Bible or you listen to the Bible, always ask yourself this question. You read it, duh, 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 stop and say, so what? What is God asking of me from this passage or from what I just heard? What is He asking me to change in my life? Where is He asking me to repent or change an attitude or to be proactive in something in, in our life? In my life, That's why at Novation we do try to teach the Bible more for application than just information. A lot of times people know a lot about the Bible and teach a lot of information, but what does that do for me on a daily basis? How does it change my relationships, how I see God and how I see people and how I actually live my life? Here's the hard reality. The only parts of the Bible that I believe are the ones that I obey. The only parts of the Bible that you and I believe are the ones that we make room for, that we apply to to our life. If we believe that the Bible says that, you know, we're not to steal, then we don't steal. But if I don't really, I can parse that and say, oh, does it really say or whatever. I mean, some things in the Bible are really black and white. And so let's believe God's Word, let's believe He gave it to us as a gift to show us exactly what He wants for us and how to have the kind of life that brings Him the most glory. So you might be asking yourself the question, what does this have to do with becoming a person of mercy? Well, over and over and over in the Scriptures, there's an admonition from God for you and I to be good to the poor, to be good to the broken to reach out to those that are hurting and struggling, to show forgiveness to those who've wronged us. That marked the ministry of Jesus. You study Jesus' life and what he did, that marked it. A care for the poor, the broken, the outcasts, the sinners flocked to Jesus. They were pushed away by the religious. They didn't want to hang out with the religious. They knew they couldn't meet whatever they were asking of them and the, the elite. But all of a sudden, here's Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh, and sinners and broken people are flocking to Him. Man, that fascinates me. That makes me, more than anything, want us to have a church, a ministry that reflects the heart of Jesus. We're imperfect at it. I am so imperfect and aware of that. But we're striving for that, and we're going to continue to pursue that. So what I want you to write down is this. If you're going to become a person of mercy, put God's agenda first. Put His agenda first. You and I, we all have agendas for our life, right? We wake up in the morning, we look at our calendar, we look at our week, we think of our future. What do we want to do with our days and our time? And the question that's very, very appropriate for us to ask is, does my agenda for my life line up with what God's agenda is for my life? Let me say that again. Does my agenda for my life, does your agenda for your life line up with God's agenda for your life? What He says to do with your life, how to spend your life, on what matters most to Him. So I'm going to tackle a very large passage to read here. So keep your thinking caps on. It'll be up on the screen if you don't have a Bible to follow along. But I, I, I thought, do I read all of this or not? And I really felt like the Lord said, read it all, and let me do my thing. So I'm gonna read this. I'm gonna comment in the middle. But you want to understand a little bit about God's agenda for our life, for for this ministry, for your life, for my life. Here it is. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for the orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes in your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is... uh, who is poor, dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor, well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Are they the ones who will inherit the kingdom He promised to those <clears throat> promised to those who love Him? but you dishonor the poor. Let me stop there for a second. Obviously, James is writing to a church or, or people who were doing this very thing where they were showing favoritism to the rich and dishonoring the poor. And let's never be people who do that, but let's face facts. We can be tempted when we think we can get something from somebody or it makes us look better or whatever because somebody's affluent that we give them a better seat or we do whatever and we give them more attention, never, ever, ever let that be so of us as a group of people together. We're equals in Christ. It doesn't matter how fancy our clothes are, our cars are, our houses are, we are with Jesus and we're part of his family. He goes on to say, isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal laws found in the Scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who has said, you must not commit adultery, also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you've still broken the law. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free, the law of Christ. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when He judges you. That's some powerful stuff there. Two things I see from this, that God, is simple things of His agenda for our life is that we're to care for the least of these. We're to care for the least of these. Jesus, you know, in Matthew 25 said, whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done unto me. You visited me when I was in prison. You gave me clothes. You gave me shelter when I was a stranger, etc. And who are the least of these in our world around us? And are we being people who put them on our radar to help. Sometimes helping the poor, tell me if this, you agree with this, sometimes helping the poor just seems like such a big, unattainable deal. We just got back from the Dominican Republic, and every time we go, we see poverty that is just makes you cry. It's unbelievable. And they're not even the poorest of the poor in the world. Every single person in this room is in the top 98% of the richest people in the world. The poorest person in this room, you're still in the top 98%. Most of the world lives in extreme poverty. So we need to get educated on this. And I think something that's important for us to remember, maybe I've told you this story before, but years ago it impacted me. There was a story of a you know, if you think that that reaching the poor or helping somebody is too uh, attainable that you throw up your hands and say, I don't know what to do about it. There was a story told about a guy that he was walking along the beach, and millions of starfish had washed up on shore. There's all these starfish, and basically, they were going to just sit in the sun and bake and die, because you've never seen a starfish get up and walk away, right? So, maybe Spongebob or whatever, but you see all these starfish, and there was the, as the guy was walking, he saw a guy picking up starfish, and one by one, just whipping them back into the water. Bloop. <sniffs> Bloop. <laughs> <sniffs> you know, he threw that one pretty far. He got him way out there. And the guy walks up to him, and he says, Dude, there's millions and millions of starfish here. Do you think you're really going to make a difference? He had a starfish in his hand, and he said, I just made a difference for that one. That's got to be our attitude when it comes to the overwhelmingness of brokenness around us in our life. Make a difference for one. You're not going to change the lives of every city and every poor village. Make a difference for one person. So at Novation, over the years of going to the Dominican, we've uh, come acquainted with the Emmanuel House. And how many in here have sponsored a child from the Emmanuel House? Several of you? The Emmanuel House is a place, in a nutshell, that brings in kids who can't go to school because they don't have a birth certificate. They feed them two meals a day, and they educate them and try to get them out of this system of poverty, the cycle of poverty. And on this trip, Seth and Danielle, would you guys come up here? Um, They actually got to meet their uh, child that they sponsor. Where's Seth and Danielle? There you are. And they had a pretty amazing experience. So will you give it up for Seth and Danielle? Because, again, you're sponsoring a child, someone you've never met. You're you're helping the ministry serve these kids. But, again, that seems unattainable. You actually got to meet your girl that you sponsor and... Those of us that were with you saw it was a pretty amazing experience. But would you share with your church family what that was like and what happened?
1: Sure. So on our fridge at home we have a picture. Her name's Katie, of our sponsored child, and it was when we did that drive like two mm-hmm. years ago or whatever um, for Emmanuel House, and we pray for her. And you know she just kind of seems like a world away, and not that, not that you know we don't pray for her family and everything, but we don't know specifics. So. Uh, so we went to Emmanuel House and didn't expect to meet her because we thought the kids weren't going to be there for their Three Kings um, holiday week. And so we walked up and all these kids are playing in the back and we're like, sweet, like maybe we can actually meet our sponsored child. And we had brought um, some gifts for her, like Christmas and presents and stuff like that, and a little bag for her and um, come to find out she wasn't there. And so we were afraid she was sick or something. So. We asked the administrative? Yeah, one of the school administrators. Yeah. Um, if we can go to her house and actually give her the present. She was like, yeah, sure. So all 26 of us um, got on a bus, drove a little bit, had to walk to her house. And it wasn't the nicest walk. I'll just, it was kind of, you know, a little ghetto-ish. And so I feel bad for her. She has to walk there every day. But So we show up at her house. And she was just stunned. She, you know, she had no idea that there was going to be 26 white people there <laughs> to give her a present. Gringos. Yes. Um, so, so to give her the gift, and she was just like, what's going on? Um, and then we got to talk with her a little bit. We learned that she doesn't have any parents. She's being raised by her grandma. Um, she has a little brother, very skinny. Um, did not look good, and an aunt who lived with her, but no parents or her grandma was taking care of her. And so um, so we gave her the present. She ran to her room to put it down. And then she was told that we were going to leave. So she ran out of the room. She threw her arms around Seth and held on to him for dear life. She didn't want to let him go. Easy to follow up with that. <laughs> it was,
0: it was such a blessing that God allowed us to experience it. Um, You know, we don't get the credit. We just get to receive what God has given us. And um, it was just out of nowhere. That little girl grabbed me and held me so tight. And I didn't know what to do. I mean, other than hold her, to see her. And she looked up at me with these big brown eyes and looked at me like a little girl would look at her daddy. And, I don't know what happened to her dad, but um, just in that moment, you know, I just hopefully she could receive a little bit of, of fatherly love just to experience just a little bit of that. That's my prayer and it's just such a cool opportunity. So thank you. God is good. Thank you. Thank you guys. The reason I wanted them to share was sometimes we don't know we're making a difference. And they got to experience firsthand that they were actually making a difference. And so don't become weary in well-doing. One thing that you can tangibly do, I sent out an email on Friday. Some of you actually read the email, which I was super impressed with. If you don't get our emails, um, we're cooperating with the city of Westminster to help the homeless in Westminster with um, these items only. Uh, gently use sleeping bags, long johns, tops and bottoms, and then um, gloves and stocking caps. Those four items, they're already being collected. They're on the way out underneath the map in the hallway. There's a bin. If you did, didn't bring it today, you have next week as well to bring that, and we'll take it over and make sure uh, some folks stay stay warm um, this winter. So I'm going to read now, and we're going to kind of bring this to a head with Kind of a controversial passage that, that the church has always argued over a little bit. And a guy named John Calvin once said that we're saved by faith alone, but we're, saved, we're, we're never saved by a faith that that's itself is alone. We're saved not by our good works, but unto good works. So in other words, there's nothing you and I can ever do in good deeds and helping people and all that that makes God say, okay, I accept you. Only the cross is how we are accepted by God. But when you accept Jesus Christ and salvation has hit your life, good deeds and good works are an expected byproduct of true salvation. Imperfect as we are, pursuing to do good becomes an expected byproduct. So what I want you to write down is this. If you're going to become a person of mercy, put your faith into action. Put your faith into action. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? What's it going to take for you to put your faith into action? I believe every single person in this room has a desire in their heart to do good, to be used by God. There's a calling there. What's it going to take for you to put this into action and not just wait for for the opportunity, but to initiate? ministry, to initiate what it is God wants you to do. This is what I I really feel like I heard from God on this, that that faith in action is proactive, not reactive. We tend to wait for a reaction to help someone in need when it comes to our attention rather than looking to help for those that are in need. And I believe what he's trying to say here is be proactive in your faith. That takes intentionality. But if you're like me, I get distracted easily. I get distracted by the day in and day out of life. Do this, do that, da, 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 da. da. Your daily schedule, work, kids, go to this game, soccer, et cetera, et cetera. This was illustrated to me on New Year's Day, big time. I'll tell you a funny story. I was taking our oldest to the airport, Chase. She was going back to San Diego. She'd been home on leave from the Navy. And it had, snowed night. it had snowed the night before on New Year's Eve. Pretty good. And so I realized that, A, I needed gas. B, I needed some wiper fluid. I didn't want to be driving all the way to DIA with all the mist and dirt on, on there. So we pull into the gas station. I put the gas gun in and began to fill it up. Popped open the hood. Sure enough, um, and yes, I actually was... Able to check my own wiper fluid. I'm I'm at least that capable. That thing was bone dry, so I walked into the gas station, bought a gallon of wiper fluid, came out, poured it. It went forever. I mean, I used almost a whole gallon, and so I got wiper fluid all over my hands because I don't know what I'm doing, but and it's dirty and and all of that. So I I'll go in and wash my hands. And plus, I thought, whoa, DIA is a long way away. I probably should use the restroom, too. So I washed my hands, restroom, washed my hands again, for those of you that were wondering. <laughs> Came back out, and, uh, and I got in the car, put it in drive, and all of a sudden, I saw this, the gas gun. I had left it stuck in the gas tank. And Chase saw it, she was like, you know, and I was like, oh, my gosh. So I back it up sheepishly, and there's this guy just looking at me like, what an idiot. I'm like, I'd seen one too many movies where, ba-boom, the whole gas station blew up, and it was going to be my fault. But it reminded me that 10 things going on, we get distracted. If you're not intentional about putting your faith into action, it's not going to happen. You will get Distracted. That goes for all of us. So we've got to develop a bit of an action plan. I was talking with Brian Friday, and he shared something about the Good Samaritan. If you remember the story of the Good Samaritan, I'm not going to go into great detail, but the bottom line was there was a guy on the road to Jericho, from the road to Jerusalem to Jericho, that was beaten and robbed and left half naked and half dead. And two other people walked by and saw him, but one was too busy and one was too religious to stop. But the Samaritan, who was hated by the Jews, he stops, he bandages his wounds, he picks him up and he takes him to a hotel, he pays for the hotel and says, take care of him, put it all on my bill and I'll be back. And the point that Brian made to me that I thought was so good was three things were in that story about being intentional. Number one, the guy had margin in his life. He had time to stop. He wasn't too busy to stop and help someone in need. Number two, he, he had relationships with people, He had a good enough relationship with the inn owner to be able to say, hey, put this on my, my credit, and I'll pay you. And he had money. He had money to be able to help take care of somebody in need. Now, what that made me think of, we almost need like a mercy savings account. You have your checking account, this... What about a little savings account that is just for acts of mercy, where you could be intentional to help someone that's in need? Because that's what this guy obviously had. He, he, sometimes when we see someone in need, we start looking through our wallet and what's going to be left for me if I, if I hand money or if I do something or if I help somebody? So instead of having a scarcity mentality, let's be intentional about saving to be able to be people of mercy. So I'm going to wrap it up with this. There's five ways I've written on your notes that you can show mercy practically to someone right now. I'm going to go through them real quick. First of all, forgive someone who's failed you. Who is someone in your life that has failed you that you can forgive? Now, maybe you won't get reconciliation or actually even a face-to-face with that person, but you can show mercy by in your heart saying, you know what, Lord, I forgive them. You forgave me of all my sin. I'm going to forgive them of their failure. Second, help someone who's helpless. Who's someone that maybe you see on a regular basis or, I don't know, someone who's helpless in their life or in their situation. How can you help them and show them mercy? Number three, you can show mercy by overlooking the faults of that difficult person. And you know exactly who I'm talking about because we all have that difficult person they drive you nuts. A coworker, a neighbor, somebody, ah. You can show mercy by just overlooking their faults and pray for them rather than being mad at them. Show kindness to an enemy. Maybe there's somebody who's made an enemy out of you, a business partner, a customer, a co-worker, a neighbor, a family member. They made an enemy out of you. How can you show kindness to them? And then fifthly, to show mercy, befriend someone who does not know Jesus. Befriend someone who does not believe the way that you do just to befriend them, not just to close the deal. Of course, we want everybody to come to a saving faith in Christ, but show mercy to someone who doesn't believe exactly the way you do. When you do this, it's going to come with a price. Faith in action always comes with a price. It's going to cost you something emotionally, materially, time, but it's worth it because we're becoming like Jesus in how we think, act, and speak. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to circle one of those five that God is speaking to you. Who needs your mercy? Who needs maybe your forgiveness? Who needs your help? Who need you to overlook their faults? Who needs you to show kindness to them? Who needs you to befriend them that doesn't know Christ? Who is that person? Write their name down. If they're sitting next to you, then just no peeking. Let's really let the rubber meet the road here. What are you going to do? And when are you going to do it? Because we can hear a message about mercy and forgiveness and all of that and walk away and go, yeah, that was cool. Anyway, uh, what's for lunch? What are you going to do? Let's don't don't end so quickly. Who is it that needs to receive mercy from you? What are you going to do? And when will you do it? Will you stand with me and let's pray? Lord, you are wonderful and awesome, beautiful beyond description. And we thank you corporately and individually for your mercy that you have given to each one of us. You have treated us better than our sins deserve. Lord Jesus, you were treated on the cross, the innocent one, as my sins deserve. Never let us forget the heart of the gospel. What mercy, what grace that we find in you? God, my simple prayer for each one of us today is that we would extend that mercy and grace in our lives to the world around us as your ambassadors, as your representatives, as your disciples. Lord, convict us where we're not being people of mercy. We ask for that. We thank you for your conviction. What a gift. You lead us and guide us. Let there be no room for the enemy's condemnation. But Lord, we do embrace the conviction that comes from you today. Father, if there's anyone in this room that's never received Jesus as Lord and Savior and trusted in the cross and the resurrection, let today be the day. And if that's you today, just say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me and that you rose again to conquer sin and death and I'm putting my faith in you today. I want to follow you. Thank you for your mercy. Lord, thanks for changing us. God, sometimes it feels so little by little, but I thank you that you're doing that. Help us to cooperate with you, Holy Spirit. For Christ's glory we pray. Amen.